One of the most important parts of naming your new business is finding a website name that works. Today's episode is brought to you by .ca. Join thousands of Canadian entrepreneurs who have chosen .ca as the trusted online home for their business. Visit cira.ca forward slash startup today. Entrepreneurship doesn't have to be tough when it's cooked right. Co-founder of Relish Gourmet Burgers serves up well-done recipes for startup success. He's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada Podcast Network. All right, welcome to Startup Canada Podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rivers Corbett. The Startup Canada Podcast is a production of Startup Canada, a grassroots entrepreneur-led movement to bring together, celebrate, and give a voice to Canada's entrepreneurship community. On the podcast, we speak with the movers and shakers of Canada's entrepreneurship community and explore themes in entrepreneurship, startups, investment, innovation, and of course, most important, impact. The podcast is brought to you by Intuit QuickBooks, your partner in starting and growing financially fit and fundable businesses. Check out startupcan.ca backslash finance to sign up for a startup finance bootcamp near you and to get 50% off QuickBooks online for your business. As part of our master series today in the spotlight, we have the man who jump-started the gourmet coffee craze before Starbucks, even landed in Canada. He's a sought-after motivational speaker, the founder of Street Kids International, Landmine Foundation, and the co-founder of Second Cup, Mr. Frank O'Day, it's quite an honor and a privilege to have you on our show today, sir. Welcome. Rivers, I'm delighted to be here. And anything I can do for entrepreneurs, I'm happy to do. After all, I've been one all my life and I know how difficult it is. So happy to be with you. Wonderful, sir. Well, I know one of your big uh, starting points with businesses and so on is this thing called Blue Ocean Strategy. Tell me, uh, what is it? And, you know, does it work for nations? Ocean strategy is a way of thinking, I guess, uh, in short rivers. The, uh, there was a, um, a couple of professors out of INSEAD University in France who uh, were reviewing business literature, and they realized there was really no literature uh, defining how to start a new industry. Oh, lots of literature around how to compete when you're in a red ocean, which is a, an industry populated by lots of competitors. So that, that's a red ocean. A blue ocean is a whole different place. A blue ocean is the beginning of an industry, much like the second cup or yellowtail wine or some of the others that, that we can talk about. It's really about thinking differently about the marketplace, realizing that while there are customers uh, in the red ocean, there's a much larger customer base outside of that red ocean. And and it's thinking about uh, how we might create new industries, new business, new government models. Uh, and these things are require some time, some effort, some resources, but uh, certainly worthwhile and uh, and can, can change the world as we did with the second cup. I, I don't mean that in a sort of grandiose sense, but but when we when we introduced coffee by the cup in a gourmet coffee store in 1975, the 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 horizon was entirely different than it was today. In 1975, uh, all coffee stores were the same. They were an elite little business selling an elite uh, to an elite customer base who wanted a good cup of coffee. People would come and buy their beans, make their own special blend, take it home, drink their coffee at home, and enjoy it. Might repeat the order three weeks, months, or years later. It was a terrible little business 
business model that didn't work. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I didn't have Intuit um, uh, bookkeeping, so I didn't have a bookkeeper at all. So Tom and I opened two more stores in spite of, in spite of the fact we were losing money. We just didn't realize it. And and then as an entrepreneur, we had to deal with it. We had to deal with the problem. And this is the problem of any entrepreneur on a startup business. It may look good in, on paper, but once you get in the pool and once you start actually doing the work, you find you have to make changes. That's exactly what we did with Second Cup. We had these three little stores selling coffee beans, low margins, tiny market space, high rent, doomed to failure. But they were 10-year leases, so we had to do something about it. So Tom and I went and, had a, uh, went and did what entrepreneurs do in crisis. We went and had ice cream. And, and, <laughs> what, and, what kind and, was it? I'm sorry? What kind of ice cream well, did you have? Well, it was actually Baskin-Robbins. And, and the reason I mention that is because Baskin-Robbins had and still has, I believe, a system where you could sample uh, some of the ice cream before you, you, uh, you make your choice of ice cream. So we sampled some ice cream. We ordered our ice cream. We stood outside of a Baskin-Robbins store looking over at the second cup store and, and three ideas, one of which created a billion-dollar industry. The first two ideas leaded, led to the third idea. The first two weren't particularly good. The first idea was, why don't we put a coffee maker on the, co on the counter, brew mm -hmm. some coffee, let people taste it as a sample, and then they'd buy more beans because, after all, we were focused on the bean business. Mm. And we talked about that for a bit. The second idea, which, again, wouldn't have done much, but it was important to step, go through these steps. The second idea was, well, why don't we charge for the samples? fine. Charging for the samples would be all right. And and the market, we were in the food court in Scarborough Town Center. So there are lots of people around us selling coffee. Uh, so, but the idea that really did uh, create a new industry, and we only knew this in retrospect, of course, I didn't know this at the sure. time, but uh, was why don't we charge more for our coffee than anybody else in the mall so people will know they've had a good cup of coffee. It mm. worked like a charm. Because what did we do? And I only understand this, as I say afterwards, but it changed the relationship between the coffee and the customer. It was no longer about uh, uh, having a beverage. It was now about a treat. And we see this every day. People in Starbucks or Second Cup stores or Timothy's or others spending two, three, four, five dollars for a cup of coffee. It's not about a cup of coffee. It's about that oasis, a little moment in time where you can sort of treat yourself. And that mm -hmm. changed the world. In 1975, coffee consumption outside of the home was declining at 14% a year. People simply wow. weren't drinking it because it was very poor quality. Everybody had to have it. So they had the cheapest possible coffee, put it on a bun maker, made it in the morning. And if you got there at three o'clock in the afternoon, it was still in the bun maker. You got that. It was terrible coffee. So, so we just changed the whole environment. And out of that grew a multi-billion dollar industry, which in fact, Rivers is still growing at three and a half percent a year in the US. It's unbelievable. Incredible. It's been growing for, I don't know, 40 years now. Yeah, well, um, Frank, I don't know if you remember when uh, I've seen you speak twice, and the last time I saw you was in Fredericton, and we uh, I introduced my business model to you, which was uh, which was gourmet burgers. And when we looked at doing getting into that business, coffee was the it still is the largest, fastest growing industry in North America. So uh, continues to lead absolutely. So when you, when you and I just want to talk on that word gourmet for just a quick second. When you did that 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 treat model. 
model. Yeah. Did you incorporate gourmet then into the branding or was it the treat model that ultimately kind of just discovered the gourmet model? It was the, it was the latter. The, we didn't, uh, we talked about gourmet coffees, but it wasn't in the brand in any way. Uh, right. but, but it, by display, people understood that they had choices of uh, country of origin and strength and those kinds of things. So, uh, it became a, 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 a differentiator between ourselves and the guy with the bun maker. And that was critically important, but it was also an environment, you know, we had a coffee store. So there was, mm. there was a bunch of things happening in the store. We had, uh, ancillary products and those sorts of things, which created an environment. And if you go into Starbucks or a second cup store today, you do the same thing. Um, uh, it's not just selling coffee. It's, it's the environment that creates right. this oasis feeling. In fact, we made a great mistake once as, as entrepreneurs, we tend to take risks, and and uh, <laughs> one day they shot the uh, a local shopping center had a tiny space, really a bunch of lockers they took out, and as uh, as real estate developers will do, they decided they could lease the space, so they leased it to us. It was a tiny, tiny space, so we thought, well, you know, if coffee is the thing, why don't we just sell coffee? So we opened the store just selling liquid coffee. It was a disaster because it didn't have the environment, right? The, right. the entire environment, the whole approach. Now these are all things. I learned I, I could yeah. share with your with your audience but hey I learned this the hard way I remember uh, walking up Young Street with a friend one day we were 10 years in business second cup and a guy third person joined us uh, found out as that I was uh, co-founder of the second cup and looked at me with awe and said how did you become an overnight success yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> exactly so so business is hard business is difficult uh, Blue Ocean strategy is critical if, if you have the courage to do it but most entrepreneurs do that's what we do yeah they sure do and, and uh, i've been through a lot of those myself so I, you started your company in the pre-internet information highway stage and most entrepreneurs today i find are lapping onto that internet space in order to find their success so you know when you talk about atmosphere and so on environment and so on i mean that really was a critical piece of your success back then because you didn't have iphones you didn't have ipads and so how do you how do you relay that experience lesson to today's entrepreneur who so desperately wants to make the next widget makes the next, you know, make the next app, whatever that happens to be. Yeah. I, it's a very good question, uh, Rivers. And, and I'm not sure I really get it. Uh, I, I'm of an age that, that doesn't really, I, I think I'm a computer immigrant rather than a computer native, as opposed to my kids. Uh, so I don't necessarily get it. Uh, but it's still about an environment. Uh, it's still about even an environment online. It has to be cool. It has to be uh, interesting. It has to be um, uh, something people immediately identify with. If we go back to the second cup issue again, or the or the start of the second cup, the environment was a store, but your environment online is an environment online. So it, it can't mm -hmm. just be old technology that you're sort of bashing out mm -hmm. there, hoping people will glom onto. It has to be moving, exciting, interesting uh, all the time. I mean, there are all kinds of dating services. I read in the Globe this morning that some guy just sold his for $575 million, never mm -hmm. had an employee. 
but he had two million people that glommed on. Well, how did they do that? I mean, somehow he connected with people and made it really cool uh, right. to get two million people online, and then he sold mm -hmm. it for five hundred seventy-five million dollars ten years later. Well, that's a terrific, a terrific story. But it all has to do with environment, the environment he creates online. I was thinking the other day, I heard a line that I liked very much. They're thinking of changing Starbucks name to uh, Five Bucks. So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I didn't hear that. That's awesome. It, it, it's really neat. So, yeah. But, but it, they can. They can because they create an environment. They create a wonderful right. place. Go and get yourself a treat, which is... Uh, uh, a, a pause in the day and with our hectic day today and all mm. of the stuff going on it's it's lovely to be able to get a stop it's terrific Isn't that true well talk about stop i want to stop and rewind a minute and uh, you know you've given this uh, we talked about things not being overnight success and although we talked dove right into your successes but it wasn't like that way and i've read your book and as i say i've heard your story a couple of times it's really an incredible story and congratulations on it but you were you were homeless in your teens and uh, you changed your life around can you take us through that on a three-minute tour yeah just a three-minute tour Sure. I, uh, I grew up in a very sort of nice part of Montreal, and um, uh, but I discovered alcohol when I was 13, causing the family nothing but problems. And at 21, my father threw me out because I was destroying the family financially and emotionally. I was just a wreck. My mother was clearing up bounce checks on Westminster Avenue. My brothers and sisters didn't want to bring their friends home anymore because they didn't know what shape I was going to be in. My dad was tired of the courts, the lawyers, the wreck cars, you know, all that stuff that mm. goes along with alcoholism. So he threw me out, which was the greatest thing he ever did, frankly, right. although it didn't feel like it at the time. And he, but he also gave me one thing. He gave me, he, he got me a job, which was uh, in Toronto, so 360 miles away. And with the instruction, you take the job, you start tomorrow, don't call anybody, don't be in touch with any member of the family until you <laughs> fix your problem. Yeah, just imagine. Yeah, <laughs> somebody imagine. does that. So, yeah. so he was he, tough love, but but you know, I, I drove out the 401 feeling guilty. Uh, got close to Toronto feeling excited, and uh, got a house or apartment in Oakville, and uh, began making the calls and got paid, and everything worked fine until I started to drink a few months later, and after I you know lost the job, so on and so forth, ended mm. up on Skid Row in Toronto. Everything I owned was on my back. Uh, and one day I'm standing uh, in at Shooter and Jarvis Street, which is where I was, the flop house was, and there were two guys that worked the street together with, and we were going to do what we'd done every other day and go out and get enough money to buy a bottle of wine. Uh, when I got to a moment in time where I just couldn't go any further, and I don't mean by that I couldn't drink anymore or get arrested again or get another fight. I could do all that. But what I couldn't do, it seemed to me, as I was trading off my very soul, everything I'd learned, everything mm. I'd been taught as a child, I would just traded off for a drink, and I just couldn't do that anymore, and it felt I either had to die or change. And uh, I'd heard a commercial on a radio some months before, and the tagline was, if you're having a problem with alcohol, call us, we're in the book. Call us, we're in the book. And this is really an interesting metaphor, because I went to King and Young Street, which is a very busy intersection in the uh -huh. business area in Toronto, held out my hand, hundreds of people going by. One guy walks out of the crowd, puts a dime in my hand, and walks on. And I took that dime, and I made a phone call. And I, uh, and I never had another drink. You could say I, I built my entire life on that dime. Wow. And I think about that guy oftentimes. He didn't know me. I didn't know mm. him. He will never know me. He will never know the impact of that dime. And isn't that a metaphor for all of our lives? We just keep putting out there and you never know what the results will be. You just mm -hmm. don't know. So you mm -hmm. just keep 
doing it, whether it's a dime or whether it's a helping hand or whether it's a hi or whether it's a hello. It's just being human and being out there from time to time. And you may have a huge impact and you'll never, ever know it. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, my experience with that. And, uh, and then I was completely unemployable, of course, for a while. And then I got a job and then one thing led to another and the second cup came out of that. Mm-hmm. Really like two steps forward, one step back. That's, uh, that's, I'm sure when you were moving from that point of alcoholism to the second cup, it, it really wasn't a straight line. It no, was more it was, like a, uh, a five zag years, difficult time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very, very interesting. Well, you know, it's interesting you talk about that guy with the dime. There was a guy that reached out to me five years ago on LinkedIn just to chat, yeah. talking about technology. And uh, lo and behold, you know, today's the guy's my business partner, and we're doing some incredible things with our business. So <laughs> you, you just never know, right? You never and it's, know, and it's, exactly, and teach high school kids that when I talk to them, you just never, the guy next to you could be, you know, that one partner that makes things happen for you. So yeah, thank building you for on sharing that story, that. I, I met a guy on an airplane. His name was Peter Delglish. Actually, I met lots of guys on airplanes. I met a guy on an airplane, <laughs> uh, never met him before. Uh, and out of that came Street Kids International, a film that made, uh, uh, that was seen by 40 million kids around the world. So well, let's talk about that since you're, you're onto that. I have it in my script. So let's, uh, let's talk about that. Tell us a bit about Street Kids International. Uh, well, it was the brainchild of Peter Doglish, who was uh, this guy I met on an airplane, and uh, he was telling me about his uh, experience in uh, Khartoum, which is the capital of Sudan. And he was working with street kids through UNICEF, and his job was to find shelter and all that sort of thing for kids. And and one day he went over to the U.S. Embassy to uh, see if there was anything in the library, and he found an old Tom and Jerry cartoon and brought it back to the shelter. There was dozen kids or so and they watched it on the wall and they didn't speak English but they were mesmerized by the animation and the next night a hundred next night a thousand kids showed up and they wore out the film uh, they had a slogan that translated into English my mother the street because these kids as young as 10 had come from many many miles and living on the street so all they knew came from the street turned out uh, World Health had done some testing and 23% were HIV positive this is 1985 AIDS only came mm. into the world in 81 and yet here they were dying of AIDS in, in Khartoum, my mother of the street, no information, what do we do? So we, the idea that came to us on an airplane was why don't we make an animated film and capture people's attention, kids' attention, and, and deliver a health message. Um, to make a short one, a long one, we did. It took two and a half years, two and a half million bucks, but we did. And then uh, we showed it at... Um, First, at the request of uh, World Health Organization at a symposium of uh, street workers uh, in Geneva, we showed it to them and uh, they subsequently, as I say, targeted 40 million kids to see that film. So kids wow. live because two guys met an airplane. Kids, mm. live, kids live because two people cared. Kids live because it was possible. So don't tell me you can't change the world. Don't, ch don't tell me ideas don't matter. Don't tell me that, that, it, that it's impossible. It is not impossible. You can do it just as you did when you met your friend and mm -hmm. now things happen. So, mm. But I do know this for sure, Rivers. I know this absolutely for sure. Nothing will happen if I stay in my basement. Right. 80% right. of life is just showing up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And trudging through, I always uh, loved to hear, <laughs> when I was going through my troubling times and one time I was embezzled on, uh, I loved I loved the entrepreneur community because my good friends, the true entrepreneurs would say, yeah, get over it. It's yeah. just the rite of passage. And and it really put it in perspective that I wasn't alone in my struggles or challenges. It really is just part of the life of, uh, or the journey of life and and uh, it, good things will come as well as bad things. So yeah, uh, absolutely. 
absolutely. Yeah. Great events yeah. will come to pass. Absolutely. Well, you talked about, uh, we just talked a little bit about your social connection with Street Kids International, and uh, you've done things with the Canadian Landmine Foundation. And if we have time, I want to get back into that. But how how important uh, do you think, or, or what do you think that, that entrepreneurs and their businesses, whether they're starting off or well, well have great foundations, should should commit a certain level to, uh, to to giving back to the community, or should they just wait until they're ready? I think the I think the latter, at least it was my experience. Uh, yeah, well, I'll tell you about a new business I'm starting at the moment, but but we can get into that later. But the giving back is really needs to speak to your heart individually. Uh, uh, at least in my case, I, I hear lots of proposals, all of them good. Not all of them speak to my heart and, and mm. I need to be passionate about it. So I wait for that, which I passionate about. And then when I, when I find that, then of course, then I'm into it full bore. But, uh, and I think that's a passage in time as well. I, I not all ideas are, 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 are ready to be ripened. And, mm. and it's just a case of, uh, as I say, getting out of the basement, showing up, talking to folks, and eventually something sp- spikes and away you go. Uh, I don't know, Rivers, uh, you're in business. You've been in business for many years. You've heard lots and lots of ideas. Not all speak to you. Some do. Mm. Uh, and I think that's the same thing for giving back. Not all things speak to me, but when they do, then I'm ready to do it. And when they do, and I'm ready. So, you know, I learned a long time ago when I read a book called um, uh, Magnificent Obsession many, 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 many years ago. And the thesis is uh, simply uh, when you're ready, uh, the idea will also show up. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really a question of doing that. And so so mm-hmm. don't be impatient. Don't uh, try and force things. Don't try and uh, be something you're not or not ready for. Just wait for the idea and it'll come when you're ready well, that's uh, probably the exact opposite answer that most of the listeners would have expected when uh, when I asked it in the first place. But you're you're so right because if you're not into this with your heart, then it's not going. It's like a relationship with, with your with your wife or husband or whatever. If you're not into it with your heart, then it's not going to work. I have a good friend of mine. He's a, he's a motivational speaker, and he talks about the importance of being selfish because unless you're giving to yourself first, you can't give to others with uh, with full strength and and love attached to it. So really appreciate that insight. Thank you. Let's get into back to Canada uh, again. Uh, You have received the Order of Canada, if I remember correctly. That's right. That's correct. Yes. So, I mean, you're obviously a a true Canadian, very passionate about your country. Um, how How can Canada use the Blue Ocean strategy with regards to stimulating the economy, jobs, innovation? Does it require a total overhaul? Does it, is there a, a, a small step way to start in that approach? Um, where does it, where does it all start? Because given the mess that's around nationally or internationally with governments these days, really a blue ocean strategy to me is the, is the only way that we can start to deal with, with the mess. Well, it's, it's, it is a challenge. And uh, actually I'm uh, working with the governor general right now on, uh, on an innovation award because the innovation has been a problem in Canada for a long time. We aren't particularly good at innovation and we're certainly not good at productivity. Um, so uh, the governor general as part of his legacy hopes to create the governor general's award for uh, innovation. And so we've had cool. many, many conversations about this and, and um, I think government can do a lot. I think that there can be um, uh, Canadians 
firstly, many Canadians have been in innovators in the past, but we tend to uh, not brag about it very much and not right. tell people. So we're very quiet about it. So an innovation award may highlight some of that and give people a sense, geez, this can be done. Uh, but the, um, uh, the, the, the government policy could change. And I think there's a very couple of interesting uh, ideas out there. And one of, one of the ideas that have been tried uh, in a different context in the U.S., but has been very successful, was any large government contract has a carve-out for small business, especially mm. in their case, uh, uh, people of color. But, but in our case, it could just be anybody with less than 25 employees. And so if you have a very large contract or even a reasonably sized contract, of, uh, then why couldn't 10% be carved out for um, small business, uh, small and medium-sized businesses? There'd be no reason why it couldn't be done. It could be done very effectively. And it would give uh, many of these small businesses the chance to uh, learn to, uh, to be part of a much larger project, understand uh, larger projects. Because most of us start out in a garage, and how do you ever learn to to, mm-hmm. to be a big business? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, many of us get stuck in the small business environment because we don't we don't know how to think differently. Thinking differently means experience, and being experienced with these large contracts could be very very useful and very helpful. And and partnerships and uh, and long term relationships can grow out of those kinds of things, but it would have to require, or I'm sorry, it requires a policy shift at uh, at the federal and provincial levels to to have a carve out for uh, for small business. Be no reason why not, and and many of us in small business would be very grateful to be part of that. Why don't you think there's an appetite to talk about that? I think that most people don't understand it. You have to be an entrepreneur to get it, and there are not, mm-hmm. not a lot of uh, politicians that uh, come from our background, Rivers. Mm, mm, mm. And, uh, yeah. and uh, you know, they, 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 talk, they talk a good game, but they don't really, they're all hat, no cattle. Yeah, I hear you on that one. It's uh, it's the proverbial oil and water, no yeah. doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 difficult. Uh, one day, uh, uh, perhaps I'll get it. How can we empower Canadians more through towards entrepreneurship? I've got my own theories on that, but I'm curious yours. I think it's very hard. Um, uh, empowerment really comes from saying you can do it, and. And Canadians as a culture tend to have a built-in resistance, at least in my experience. I remember Rivers just tangentially, but I was out raising some money. I was at the time I was running a company called Arcs and we were I was doing a consolidation of uh, of the ICF industry. This was two thousand and eight and uh, we needed to raise fifty million dollars to do that. Uh Actually, let me back up a moment. Before I got to there, I, I needed to uh, raise $20 million on, on my first go-around to take out a bunch of old investors and put in new investors and, and, and create a momentum that would lead to a consolidation, which would then be the $50 million deal. Well, when I was running around to raise $20 million in Canada, it was, it was like, first of all, getting a meeting was difficult with the venture capitals and the, mm. uh, those kinds of folks. And although we had uh, a, a large venture capital company on our board, and they uh, agreed to fund it, but when they agreed to fund it, it was so expensive. I just, it just took my breath away. So uh, fortunately, I was invited down to the Masters uh, golf tournament in Atlanta by a friend of mine, and 
uh, and, you know, just walking around and met a guy. And by the time I got to the 18th hole, uh, he was a venture capital guy and I'd raised the $20 million and it was all priced quite appropriately <laughs> yeah, because that's the difference between Canadians and Americans. We Canadians yeah. seem to think, and I, and I don't mean to have a broad brushstroke here. I mean, I'm sure there are lots that are much different from this, but Canadians seem to be much more worried about, worried about how they, how much they might lose if they make this investment. Whereas mm-hmm. the Americans seem to take the approach, how much can we make? Mm-hmm. And it's just an entirely different mindset. So how do you encourage entrepreneurs? I was, let's see, I was, I was with a friend of mine last, yesterday. In fact, his daughter is really excited about becoming an entrepreneur and doing some things. She has wonderful ideas. And right. he's trying to overcome his, 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 uh, built in Canadian resistance new ideas for her and tell her it can't be done. Instead of that, he's trying to encourage her, but he's, he's having a hell of a time because it's just built in, you know, to say, oh, right. no, it hasn't been done before, therefore it can't be done. Yeah, right on. You know, right I started on. a company called Pro Shred, which was the first guys to put a shredder on a truck. First guys to put a story. shredder on a truck. We were a big shredder, yep. first guys to do it. By definition, there's no market. I mean, the yes. service didn't exist, so there was no market. Yes. So if somebody had gone and said to us uh, before to do a business plan where Where's your market? We would have said yeah. there's no market, so they wouldn't have funded yeah. it. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? And Shredit followed us, and they just went public or are going public at a, at a $2 billion valuation. That's what happens. You know, you take an idea, and you get passionate, and you follow it. And you, if you've got a customer, if you've got somebody who pays you for your service or for your product, then you actually have a business. It's yes. now getting enough products and services sold, so there's enough water over the dam to cover your overhead. But your business exists if somebody says yes and writes you a check. Then you right got a business. On. Now yes. it's a matter yeah. of how often can you do it. Pro trade. How did you differentiate yourself in the marketplace moving forward? Initially, when you came out, you were the new guy in the block because you were the only one doing it. Right. But ProShred is so, you know, it's it's shredding documents. Okay, there's a right. truck, put it in the truck and so on. Going forward after that honeymoon stage is over, what was the kind of the differentiators that you had that really catapulted you to the success you had? Uh, two things. Uh, one, we had to figure out how to finance it and to and to grow it. And we used the franchise model. I'm not sure I would do that again, but it worked, ah. worked for us. So we were able to mm-hmm. franchise it and therefore become uh, a player. But we were limited to the distance a truck could drive in a day, obviously. So so we had to be fairly careful about how we did that. Um, uh, and we grew that. The other thing we did is, uh, and I'm sure they're now ubiquitous. You can see them anywhere. Uh, these... Um, uh, bins we put in people's offices, sort of wooden pieces of furniture where you could throw your documents through a slot and it would be, right. and then we'd pick. So, so that became the ongoing uh, razor blade, if you will, to the razor because once those were in, Christ, yeah. I, I still see them 25, 30 years later. They, they never move. So for, <laughs> you know, for a $200, $300 investment in building those things, uh, the ROI is, is terrific. And then you own the customer. They don't change because it's, you know, right. it just becomes part of the thing. So, so that was that was how we did it, um, and and became dominant. I think that um, if I had to do it over again, there were mistakes I made. Uh, uh, first of all, we didn't patent the process. Uh, we were told at the time right. that we could not. We should have. We, the information was wrong, uh, so it was very easy for competitors to come along and put another shredder on a different truck. So, so that was a a, a, a mistake we made. I would do that differently uh, now. The other thing that I that I have always the always it's a current mistake and always a mistake. 
uh, is being undercapitalized. Now, that's mm -hmm. a oxymoron because if you're a startup, it's very hard to be properly capitalized. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but the answer to capitalization is critically important. And I think that if, you know, well, while I'm doing it over again, uh, I'm not ready to give away shares in the company until I can get enough water over the dam so that I can capitalize properly. That's, yeah. that's always the challenge, always difficult uh, for all of us. But, uh, but uh, and the other, the third thing that I've learned is management. You have to have management. So, so three things you need to have is you need to have an idea that really works, uh, proven by customers who are paying for it. You need to have some sort of picket fence to keep people away from uh, your idea while you get started. Second mm -hmm. cup wasn't, uh, wasn't patented, but we just dominated the market by being in shopping centers. So we were first to market. That worked very well. Still works. Um, uh, but Starbucks ate our lunch in the end. And then the third thing is proper capitalization with management. Yeah, so, so those are the mistakes I've made. I try to do them differently now. I just started a new company called Yipit Data. And I'm trying to do it differently. We'll see. Yeah, well, I, I know with your track record, you the odds are in your favor, that's for sure. But nothing's for certain. Nothing's for um, certain. So, uh, well, that actually kind of led into my next question: was what would you what would you write to your yourself twenty years younger from now? And you just answered that question. So, I'll I'll leave with this question: Do you have any lasting words of wisdom that our audience uh, could tap into and yep. uh, say, Ah, I never thought of that. I don't know if I never thought of that, but I do know this: that uh, starting a business is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Somebody once asked me how much it costs to start a business. I said, all you got. And it's really not mm. only emotional uh, or financial rather, but also emotional because it is very difficult. And there'll be lots of people who will say no. After all, I can remember sitting in front of a bank manager trying to get some money to build our seventh store at Eaton Center. And you heard the story before, Rivers, but I think it's worth retell retelling. And, that, and, the, and the bank manager looked uh, across the desk and said, with six stores, you've saturated the market for coffee stores in North America. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he's a business. Is a, so what, and he's a business professional. So, so the point of the story is there'll be lots of people who say, no, it can't be done. Right. There are lots of people who want to tear you down. There are lots of people who says, said, you're foolish. There are lots of people say, go get a job. Lots of people will tell you you can't be done. But if you're passionate and you believe and you have customers and they're paying the bill, you'll figure out a way. And you've got to make sure that you keep focused and keep doing it day in, day out. It is tr very, very hard to build a business. But 10 years later, you'll be walking down the street and somebody say, how did you become an overnight success? <laughs> yeah, isn't that great? Yeah. Well, it's uh, that's great, great words of advice. And uh, our listeners, if they're listening correctly, would uh, take advantage of that because it really is a it's it's a, it's a, a journey of passion and great excitement, but a few sharks along the way. Always so, sharks uh, along the way. And 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 just before we go, Rivers, I just want to say how impressed I am with uh, your sponsor into it. I met them at uh, Startup Canada in in Ottawa, and uh, and those folks are really uh, committed to helping out, and I think that's terrific because yeah. when I started, I didn't have a bookkeeper, and I didn't yeah. know how to. Keep <laughs> well, Frank, uh, thank you very much. And to your brother, too. I know he helped with the technical setup. Thank you so much for the two of you. Uh, appreciate you having you on the show. Um, it's just been a great, great honor to, to talk to you again. You're very welcome, Rivers. It's been a delight. And as I say, anything I can do to help, let me know. 
Thank you very much. You're listening to Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. Startup Canada is your doorway into Canada's entrepreneurship community. Be sure to check out startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like the popular startup chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern time. And if you want to hang out with me, you can check me out at riverscorbett.ca. I've got great passion for helping entrepreneurs and continuing on this great journey with Startup Canada. Until next time, I'm Rivers Corbett, and here's to your success. Success.